When a cyclist rides a bike around a track or along a road, the rider applies forces that propel the bike forwards. There are other forces acting on the bike that tend to slow it down. Identifying these forces and understanding their effect enables bike designers, sports scientists and elite athletes to work to minimise the negative effects of these forces and increase the positive in order to maximise performance. There's really only two key forces that are acting on you and slowing you down and those are the two forces that, that require you to produce 300 watts to move at say 30 mile an hour and, and those two forces are the frictional force through the tyres and then the, the drag force which is coming from the rider and the, and the equipment. But typically the a frictional force from the tyres could be around 15% of the total power output and the rest come, comes from drag. The cyclist applies force to the pedals, which turns the pedals and then in turn turns the wheels eventually. And the wheels apply a frictional force against the road which uh, drives the bike and the cyclist forwards. They also encounter forces which act against them pushing forwards, primarily aerodynamic drag but also gravitational force in, in some situations, and also frictional force. The most important of these is usually aerodynamic drag, but in certain events, such as climbing mountains in the Tour de France or in the classics, it's gravitational effort, which is of primary importance as well. Aerodynamics is the biggest influence on, on performance for most sites. I mean, mountain biking, it becomes more about ground friction. The speeds are low and uh, the ground friction is much higher. So it's different per event, but if for a blanket cycling, aerodynamics is everything. And then of that, the biggest thing, the biggest impact you're going to have is rider position. The physics is this. Your energy output or mass of your body increases cubically. But the frontal area increases to the square. So the bigger you are, then the less surface area you have per kilogram. Put it this way, if there's two riders, they can both produce the same wattage output per kilogram. The big guy will go quicker. It's the laws of physics. The drag force on a cyclist depends on the square of the cyclist's speed through the wind, which means that, in fact, the power required to go at that speed depends on the cube of the velocity, which means, for instance, if you want to double the speed of yourself, you need to multiply your power by a factor of eight. At 20 miles an hour, it takes someone of moderate aerodynamics about 200 watts to travel at that, that speed. If he wants to increase his speed to about 25 or 26 miles an hour, he almost has to double the power, so he'd be putting about 400 watts. And the breakdown of the, of the power is very different in the two cases. In the first case, at 20 miles an hour, about 30% of his effort goes against friction on a flat road, and 70% will be about against aerodynamic drag. At 26 miles an hour, where he's making twice as much power, so he's really much working much, much harder, about 20% of his effort is against friction, and about 80% um, of his effort is against the aerodynamic drag. So it's really increased a lot. Tests on the effects of these forces and how to improve the performance of bike and rider as a single unit have, in recent years, been performed in the controlled environment of a wind tunnel. The wind tunnel, basically, you put your bike and the rider, and the rider can be a real rider or it can be a mannequin. You put it in a wind tunnel, so you have wind flowing, and basically you put that whole thing on a, on a scale, but instead of the scale where normally you stand on a scale, bathroom scale, and you have your weight going downward, this scale is flipped 90 degrees. And so as the wind pushes against the rider, it pushes into the scale and you have a reading and that force is your drag. So the less drag you have, the less force is pushing onto that scale. 
And so there you can see what's more or less effective. The wind tunnel is used to obviously uh, simulate the, the airflow over the rider and the system in a controlled manner in which we can then do some experimentation and, and draw conclusions, make good baselines and, and then making improvements. The wind tunnel needs to have a consistent airflow which doesn't change throughout the experimentation that you can rely on. So a, a clean airflow of which you can vary the speed. Generally uh, when you cycle you don't necessarily cycle into a head-on wind the, the wind angle is always changing, so we, we also we look at how the, the component or the body position responds to different wind angles. You can change out frames, you can change out part of frames, you see how that affects that drag reading, and that's how you can find better, better shapes and better designs for products. As a result of these wind tunnel tests, elite riders can then alter clothing, equipment and positioning on the bike and on the track or road to change the impact of these forces. Slipstreaming, for example, reduces drag, thus saving energy for endurance and acceleration later in the race. You can obviously change your tyre compound, tyre stiffness and your mass and that affects frictional forces. So there's only so much you can do there, but then there's a much bigger amount of things you can do a wider range of things you can do with your position and your equipment to, re to reduce the overall drag. If we consider how much energy or power you have to produce to, to propel yourself at 30 mile an hour, you could say that uh, as much as 85% of that is due to aerodynamic drag. And of that 85%, you could then split that down and say that around 75% of that comes from the body, as you could imagine, because it's a, you know, a, a very large frontal area. So in terms of improving performance, um, rider positioning, helmets, clothing comes very high up over and above the equipment. The biggest change you can make is, is to your position which is about two-thirds of that drag and to the bike which is about one-third. So on the bike you're looking then at the wheels and the frame predominantly and of course on the position you're looking at changing your frontal area because the drag is nothing else than your shape multiplied by the frontal area, the, the size of the hole that you push through the wind. So if you can uh, make that smaller, you go faster. That's also why on a race bike, obviously, you're hunched forward, so you're trying to reduce that frontal area. Or on a recumbent bike, you know, when you lie backwards, you can make that hole even smaller. And that's why all records are held by recumbent bikes, because you can make that, that frontal area really small. And then if you put a whole fairing around it that make that shape factor better, then you have a winning combination to go you know 120 kilometers an hour on a flat road instead of you know maybe 70 that Cavendish can do. Of course the importance of the design of the bicycle cannot be underestimated. Determining the influence of these forces on the bicycle and understanding their effects is now an extremely scientific process. First of all we say what shape do we want? Well this is the shape that we want no matter how wacky it is. So right well how do we get to keep that shape? Um, and then we will computer simulate. So in a computer, computational fluid dynamics and um, finite element analysis, first and foremost. We, we use the computer model to give us the shape that we want, so aerodynamics on a computer. And then we'll make a, a rapid prototype of that and put it in a wind tunnel. And we'll confirm, because computers aren't always right, that that is the case. And then when we've decided what the shape is, finite element analysis, which is types of carbon fibre and resins, amounts of it in different areas. Put it into a computer programme, the computer programme bends and twists it and says you need a bit more here, you, need, you can get away with less there, and then we go and make a prototype.